Hey everybody, it's Ron from the Nerd Life Crisis Podcast Network, here to talk to you today about SpinWiz Comics. SpinWizComics.com is an indie comics discovery platform. It's designed to help comic book readers find new content, with over 60 publishers and over 400 different comic titles to choose from, and growing every week. Most of the content right now is free to read, but there are options available to purchase PDFs and support creators you read the most. And right now, as part of the promotion, IB Comics is offering the first four issues of Grace, free to read. And for all you music fans out there, the first 28 pages of Legba's Juke Joint, Volume 1. You can read all of these for free at spinwizcomics.com. So if you're a content creator out there, check it out. It's a no-hassle platform whose core goal is to help with awareness, to essentially take your comic book and put it out there for new readers. It's as easy as uploading a couple of PDFs, toss them into a Dropbox or Google, and within a day, your stuff will be online and available for purchase or for new readers to check out. SpinWizComics.com. Check it out today. Welcome to Fix It in the Mix, the podcast about the real music business. I'm your host, as always, Chris Thayer. Today, I'm sitting down with David Fleming, who is a uh, radio personality in his own right. Um, actually, he's much more a radio personality than I will ever be. Uh, so, yes, welcome, Dave. Thanks for coming Thank in. Thank you very much. So we're here, cool to be here early morning in the uh, beautiful Inland Blue Studios. Um, I, I uh, get the impression that you had a bit of a late night, get a little gravel in uh, the voice right very, now. Very, very, oh yeah, oh mama, yeah, <laughs> oh yes, yes, it was a late but rewarding night, just uh, playing cards, hanging out, and uh, listening to music, it was, it's, that's always a part of everything, no matter what. What were you listening to? Somebody put on a mix that was going between some uh, Neil Young, and it was a lot of acoustic-based okay. stuff, some Neil Young, a little bit of uh, Early Dead it seemed to drift over to Pink Floyd at some point later in the night, but it oh, was, it's uh, like that. It was yeah, it was a Spotify kind of thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, once the Pink Floyd starts, um, we we know that uh, other other elements have been introduced into the evening at that point. <laughs> um, generally, I will neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> well, there are a lot of new legal changes in the oh, law. That's true. So. That's true. We <laughs> so, had medical fun. So, um, for those that don't know who you are, which I can't imagine that a lot of people don't, you host a show on... I'm at uh, KVCR FM in San Bernardino. That is the local NPR affiliate. Okay. I'm the local All Things Considered host, but I also, after a few years of being there, created a show called KVC Arts, and that is covering the broad, broad spectrum of arts and entertainment in the region and the people and places providing it. It sounds like a catchphrase by now to say that, but it's it's truly what it is. I speak with the people doing it, and but sometimes there will be interviews about, say, the historic California theater right. or other venues around the area. So it's the, truly the people and places. Right. And it's all the way from music to authors and poets and right. even a theater professor talking about the season. So you've definitely like and you've been doing that for how long? Oh gosh, I believe the show. I think the show kicked off in 2012. Okay, it uh, it went from no, these, but how long have you been at? Uh, oh, I've been KVCR. I've been at KVCR since 2000. I've been at KVCR since 2005. I've been in radio 
for just shy of 30 years now. Wow. Um, and 99% of that has been public radio, NPR affiliates. That's that's yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm proud of that, I should say. Well, absolutely. Not just the longevity, but being with NPR. So. Well, and I know guys like me, we had our stint in college radio. It's mm. like, oh, we had our show once a week for about a semester. Right, right, Like, right. yeah, we have our experience. In ra- no, we don't have our experience. <laughs> in ra- we played around in a little room is what we did. And we spent, you know, spun some CDs because uh, they didn't even have vinyl at that point. So, oh, gosh, gosh. Yeah, so um, you have interviewed pretty much a huge spectrum of musicians. Um, mm-hmm. And and since this is kind of focusing on the music business, yep. uh, I kind of want to lean into that. Sure. But I, I do think it's uh, definitely worth pointing out that you have that NPR voice. Mm. <laughs> um, do you hear that a lot? I do, I do, even at... And it's not an affectation. Yeah. Like, that's no, your no, voice. no, no. I've always been hyper articulate. Right. Like, I, I think the phrase that I finally came up with is I don't speak this way because I'm in NPR. I'm in NPR because I speak this way. Right, right. Well, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. you see the, the uh, SNL sketches. Right, and right. And yeah. obviously that's really exaggerated. But at it's the same time, there's some truth yeah. in that, too, because oh, there's a very absolutely. soothing quality to the, a lot of the very voices. Very calm. Like, yeah. Oh, that's I, nice. That's nice. Right, right. Why do you think that um, those voices tend to find their way onto NPR? Uh, it- there's, there's a really good reason for that is because in broadcast, uh, in a broadcast affect. Right. There are kind of two schools of thought. There's the commercial radio, and I... I'll try to back off for this. There's the commercial radio thing where you exaggerate everything and you push it out there and you kind of get everybody's attention that way. Right. But then if I take those same words that I was just saying and drop it down a tone. Right. Instead of getting your attention gotten because you've just been yelled at. Right, right. You're having to focus a little bit. Right. And you're hearing a little bit clearer. And so it's, it, 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 the result is the same. You get somebody's attention and they draw in and that's the NPR style. There's, uh, not only in the way it's presented, but the manner of material. It's public radio gives you what you can't get on the rest of the dial. Absolutely, that's absolutely true. And in the rest of the dial, I don't know that I I have a whole lot of love for what's going on there. Well, I lost uh, that years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, there's an occasional nugget that'll sneak through the mm-hmm. through the noise, but um, that's one of the things I love about what you do is you tend to find um, the the people that aren't ever going to be on right um, yeah you know national radio yeah. um broadcast or what do you call it uh, mainstream radio yeah the mainstream that yeah mainstream dial yeah. yeah and and i think in some ways well in every way what you're what, the people you're interviewing are much more uh interesting mm. uh, oh, they're less gosh. manufactured they're you know true the stories yeah. Yeah. Are, are much like you see people who have worked their way through the trenches on up to get wherever they are. Oh, and even if yeah. that's not superstardom, you know, you definitely. Well, I'd say it is. There's been a lot of these folks that have started, especially with the doo-wop era. I've been very, very fortunate to be able to interview, uh, I, I think it's close to maybe 60 uh, wow. original doo members, original drifters, original Supremes, or the... You know, Whatever, they're, they're all these, if you can name a group from back there, the, the coasters, the, right. the platters, there's all these classic groups that mm-hmm. I got turned on to because of my mom's music. I right. was listening to Danny and the Juniors and new names like that right. long before stuff appropriate to my age, Led Zeppelin, Queen, yes. Sticks, you know, that kind of thing, which I still love, but 
my gosh, I suddenly have an opportunity to talk with these folks. And it's, it's amazing. Oh, it's pretty, yeah. pretty rare. And I, I think you're catching them now when they have enough like hindsight to kind of see how things played out and, and mm. where that went, True. but also you're catching them before they're gone. Yes. You know? I, it's, it's truly a treasure that I, I feel like, I don't mean a treasure <laughs> like, Oh, I'm capturing this for the world, but it's, it's an opportunity for me. But you are though. And I, well, I, I hope that other people are able to, when they hear it, uh, maybe realize that kind of a thing right. that, that they are maybe getting this person's, this is such a morbid way of saying it, but this person's last interview. I mean, if Maybe you because a, a lot of these folks, they're in their 70s and even 80s. And there's been, I've been fortunate of all of these folks that I was just speaking of, the, right. the doo-woppers and early soul and rock and roll people. Uh, only two have died so That's far cool. that I've spoken to. Um and I did. And they're still working the in the biz, did. right? Oh, yes, yes. That's the reason that most of these folks I've even spoken to because they're coming to perform in the area right. somewhere. And so, yeah, that's the case with the. Uh, I mean, that's yeah. the definition of slugging it out in the trenches for a yeah. lifetime. You know? That's what even got me started on this is that so many of these folks started when they were 14. I've even interviewed a couple that started when they were 12, going on 13 when their first album was released. Right. And uh, and maybe they started uh, in high school yeah. and truly singing around the burn barrel on the street corner mm -hmm. in Pittsburgh or Baltimore, or the Bronx or something like that. Going to yeah. the bathrooms or the subway for the echo, all that stuff that you see on TV, that that's what they did. That's it's so cool. And it, it seems so like staged and goofy, but that's absolutely how True. things were. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. You see it on a movie and it's like, uh, yeah, that's a little much. No, yep. that's, that's how it was. Yeah. Um, it's described to me as the, uh, you had back then in those neighborhoods, you were either a fighter or a warrior as right. I forget which one told me it may have been Charlie Thomas from the drifters, but you said that back then you were either a fighter or a singer. And yeah. if you were a good enough singer, you didn't have to be a fighter. You better start singing. Simple that's as that. That's how it goes. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's rough, man. Um, but I, I think that has sort of been lost to the last couple generations. Mm. You know, I, I think since the birth of the rock star. Yeah. And I would say that's, I mean, I kind of guess it goes back to Elvis, yeah, Elvis and, the, yeah. and those guys. Yes. Um, but I think the real rock star era was probably the 70s. When, when you start to see the real excess. and I mean, I guess the 60s, too. Um, but, but since then... we were then, filling stadiums and right, stuff. Right, right. And, you know, and you could actually I think that's imagine people, instead of performing to a club, to maybe a large concert hall. It's right. like, ooh, 1,200 people. Right. Yeah. Well, how about like 300,000 people right. in one performance? That's right. amazing. Yeah, truly. That was like the 70s era... Yeah, right. It's the era of the rock star. Yeah, I th I think that has definitely changed the way people come up, or or um, you know how people go about. It. And definitely with today, um, you know, nobody's earning their stripes. No, it's You've got the Justin it, Bieber approach. No, no, I think it's yeah. I think you're absolutely right. Um, it's it's all kind of um, we've made the world smaller in a sense, mm. but we've made the artist smaller as well. Because their their sphere is so much smaller, um, to to like a Billie Eilish where it's just a bedroom. Mm, yeah, you know? wow, nice way of putting that. I mean, so, you yeah. you you've gone from having to go on the Chitlin circuit or go play clubs, you know, right, across the right. country, to you know, I can do everything with YouTube. Yeah, yeah, that's that's truly uh, 
folks that I've interviewed that were even oh big in in our lifetime. I was speaking of people more akin to my mother's age or or people that were eighty or so. Right. But now looking at just people that were coming up in uh, coming up in the nineties, even Ani DeFranco is a good example. Right, she got huge for so many people at a certain time. But still, even for her at this point, part of her story was getting done with a gig, hoping she could talk somebody into a ride over right. to the next place, sleeping next to her guitar case right. in an alley somewhere. And this is, you know, it sounds wow. like a story that you would make up, but... Oh, I can true. see that, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she... I, I think she had a lucky break in the 90s when we had all the female... Uh, it pop was a stars big surge, and she was somebody who rose above. Right, she stood out. Yes. Right, she's super talented, and and here's somebody who got a little glimpse of that rock star world, and then I think did it the right way to where she built her own kind of small empire. I'd say her own independent um, company, and you know I think she's she's had that longevity because she was an artist before she got to that peak. I'd say. Um, now I've I've sort of lost touch with what she's been doing. Um, she stepped away from so many things. She's, yeah, she got married and had a couple of kids. Oh, and I she, didn't know uh, that. I even interviewed her, not so much because of her music, but because she finally released an autobiography. Oh, uh, that's how did uh, I not yeah. know this? Yeah, it's um, well, it, I guess for that very reason, she's not on the radio anymore, no. and that's where a lot of us have any kind of touch with these folks is if they're on the radio or if they're currently on whatever kind of playlist is right. going around and she uh she sort of she started drifting away in the later 90s uh, you can still find her on public radio stations that oh, are doing yeah. the AAA format right um so but yeah yeah well and every every couple of years i'll go back and pick up the few records that i missed yeah. and you know kind of get to those but i i think my tastes have evolved a bit too um, yes. where I was sure. like a huge fan for about 10 years. You know, I, I kind of have drifted from, from that style a little bit, so I've sort of lost touch. Mm. Um, but I think the thing about her is that she definitely has a core fan base, mm-hmm. like a Dave Matthews or a Grateful Dead. Oh, that, fervent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. That will yes. always be there. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of artists today do not have. Um, for example, I have a student who... His he's a, an aspiring hip hop artist, okay. and he does everything on his iPhone, <laughs> and he literally like live does the vocal into the track on his phone. Now it doesn't sound great; it sounds like a phone, but I mean he still is putting out music on the regular. Yeah, and I caught him one day running around the room, logging into all the computers to get his numbers up on on uh, SoundCloud. Oh, I see. I so see it's all right. unique listeners listening to his tracks <laughs> and I, like and I tried to explain to him like, that's cool and all, but unless you can get like a million listens, yeah. that's not going to catch anybody's attention. You would be better to spend your time talking to the people actually in the class and getting them to, to tweet out or, you know, share your music rather point. than running around and getting an extra 30 listens on your thing, get 30 real yeah. listens, yeah. you know, build your fan base and, and kind of in an old school way, you know, uh, one, one listener at a time. True. Yes. Um, and then maybe by, by somebody sharing that you can go viral. Um, yeah. but, but doing it artificially, I mean, that 
we learned in the nineties that that doesn't work with MySpace. So with MySpace, when we were to go there, <laughs> when we were paying for for listens or likes on MySpace, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it just it did nothing for ninety nine point nine 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 percent of us. More you know? people saw my drawings. Yeah. Right, right. It it did nothing. So I've kind of uh, broken from form a bit. I I cool. tend to start these things uh, with the same question, um, and the question is, how did you get sucked into the world of music? Because I hmm. find um, and I say this every time, it's probably getting really tired for the listeners, um, that people um, don't choose to go into music or the music right. business, that it sort of chooses them. Like no one sets out to be, you know, broke yeah, yeah. In, a, in an alley clutching their guitar and sleeping. No, we all know? look for that. We all hope for that someday. Right, right, right. <laughs> so how did you get uh, pulled into this business um, of interviewing? I, I grew up a theater geek. Okay, uh, doing live theater, mostly at the community theater level. But this was, uh, yeah, starting when I was, I think I turned 12 or 13 on closing night of my first show. Oh, wow. And I stayed doing it ever since. I took a break in the Navy. I played the third sailor on the left for quite some time. But right. but then eventually that's what my bachelor's was in. And But the point of this is that uh, while I was in college, we were talking about that student... Uh, that that radio show, that right. music show that we would do, that was me at one point. Right. And so while I was a student, where was at that? The college, at Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky. Wow. It's in the the western part of the state, just above Tennessee, not far from Illinois. Okay. So over in that end of it, nearest to Paducah. Um, so it's yeah. there, but not quite Kentucky. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's on it's, the edge of cooler states is what you're trying to say. That's <laughs> what I would say. It's funny. I didn't realize this for the longest time is that when people would say Kentucky, I would say Western Kentucky. Right, right, right. I would like get on the defensive really quick, not the Eastern Appalachian. Kind right, of right. Deliverance. Sort of right, right. And that, that definitely has become a stereotype, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, but I was basically, so I was, uh, it was a student work position. I was working backstage at the theater, and one of my other student jobs was working at WKMS, which was the NPR affiliate licensed to Murray State University. Nice. And, and I've always had a love for things that were not mainstream. Right. Even when I was listening to, uh, I gosh, I've never really been turned on by pop, pop radio, bubblegum kind of right. stuff. But still at one point, you had... Uh, a different type of music. You had, you know, these groups that I mentioned earlier, Sticks and the Eagles and right. Toto, love Toto. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I loved that. But then I found an interest in strange instrumental music. I later learned that that was Adam Hart Mother from Pink Floyd. And, oh, yeah. And all this kind of uh, Chuck Mangione, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, people look at this one song feels right. so good mm -hmm. as the ultimate elevator song. And right. maybe it is, but you know what? You see that, see or hear that thing live. Right. Oh my God, there's as much improvisation in there. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I guess, again, I'm getting on the defensive because I grew up being weaned by right. jazz cats from the 30s and 40s. Right. They were saying, that's not real jazz. I say, no, and we argued so much about right. it. But uh, yeah, so that was it. It was a student work. It was a student job at the public radio station back home, uh, back in Kentucky. Well, that's yeah. definitely uh, where a lot of people get get started in doing this stuff. Truly, um, yeah. I have several friends who 
are also theater geeks mm. who, and I was as well, mm. and we all had our radio shows, and uh, I just happened to play an instrument, and that's... Now, did you ever uh, play an instrument at all? Or? I play... Uh, I actually took formal <laughs> piano lessons at one okay. point when I was young. I've played guitar for easily maybe 30, 35 years, but okay. I've never progressed to the point where I would go out on stage. Right. Uh, I can't sing and play at the same time. I've, it's you know, a challenge done, I find yeah. for some people. I nightly, even nightly, I do my own version of "Wish You Were Here." Oh, cool! But I've never, uh, I've never picked up formal lessons right. or, and if you know any of the wonderful, wonderful guitarists that I know would see me playing, they would just cringe at oh, the man. way I'm doing it because it's this single finger like a Lindsey Buckingham kind yeah. of fraying, a frailing kind of thing like you would on a banjo almost. But No, I, yeah. I think, uh, <laughs> I mean, Django Reinhardt yeah. had, um, you know, yeah. out he of was necessity. forced with some options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, I think uh, I, I kind of see music in a sense because I, I used to cringe when I would hear, you know, people giving lessons. They you have to hold your hand at this angle. Mm. And, you know, I'm like, come on, man. Um, you know, it's, it's like happy Gilmore, you know, it's, it's golf. <laughs> okay. Nobody cares how just, you know, what the product is, what yeah. the score, how many in golf, you know? Yeah. So I, I think with music, if you can get the same result, oh, yeah. um, you look at guys like Albert Collins, you know, they're famous oh, yeah. players and, and, yeah. uh, you know, not, not everybody has the same approach as long as you, and that might be what makes them unique is that they That's don't have yeah. everybody else's approach. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, man. Now, did you ever have the dreams of, you know, going on and doing the music stuff? Because you definitely have a huge love of music. Oh, my gosh, yes. And I, I've thought about it. But in all honesty, I was always on so many other paths. Right. And so I was so heavily invested and involved in theater that I didn't have enough time. Right. Personally. Well, I didn't make myself a... Uh, uh, you know, I had friends that would take the guitar into the bathroom. Right. <laughs> and that's where they would be for the next 15 minutes. Everywhere right. they would go, they would bring it with them. Mm -hmm. And they're phenomenal guitarists today and sign makers. Right, um, right, right. So, yeah, they got phenomenal. But, yeah, no, no, and as, well, as well as with two-dimensional art as well, that's where I pretty much stayed was live performance on the theater and, right. and two-dimensional art. Right. But uh, playing, it's always been more for myself. And that's, yeah. there's nothing wrong with that, yeah. but I, I definitely found it uh, interesting that you've definitely chosen a life in kind of the music business. I mean, oh, you're yeah. sort of in the entertainment it's business, in it. yeah, yeah. But, but it is a huge part of what you do. A lot Absolutely. of your shows are centered around uh, music. I'd say most of them uh, are, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that, I'm not even sure how you and I met. My memory is really bad. Um, it was through Q. Was Quentin, that what it was? That's Quentin what it was. Hufford, yeah, uh, uh, Quentin Hufford. I played in a band with him, and uh, I I don't remember if you came out to um, a show or if we went in to do an uh, interview or. Q was a student at University of Redlands, where my wife works, and she, uh, and so I, that's how I was connected with him. He ended up doing some work at KVCR, and right. we became music friends. And he was like, "Check out this big pop in the TCB thing that I'm working <laughs> with," and so. So, yeah. uh, oh, I'm gonna have to get you a new shirt because we got to oh, retire yeah, the Big yeah. Papa shirt. You're wearing. Uh, I, I kind of <laughs> joke that you're trolling me with that shirt. Uh, 
But yeah, I, I definitely, uh, we got to get you some new swag before you leave. Don't let me forget. I keep on meaning to show up with some of your gigs with these things, but with one of those Chris Thayer and, oh. uh, you know, just a, a, At the top. a sticker over the top of the old. That's Papa hilarious. Portion. <laughs> um, so, um, is there somebody that, like, I don't want to ask, like, do you have a favorite record? Because that's kind of a cliched question. It's a tough one. But is there somebody that you always come back to that, that inspires you, even as an artist? Um, I, you mentioned Pink Floyd, you know, went on mm. late at night. And you mentioned you, you play that song every day. Would yeah. that be the artist that you think maybe inspires you the most to want to create whatever it is, music or art? or mm, Easily. Uh, at times... I even did a painting to the uh, to the album Animals. Oh, I just uh, it was on a cassette, and it would end. I would turn it over and keep painting, and then go back to side one, right. back to two, and back and forth for hours and hours and hours. Uh, that would be one. I think a lot of jazz fusion, okay, I'm into as well, or some of the funk infused, right? Like the Herbie Mann or the Herbie Hancock, right? Uh, so that kind of a thing. And that's, that's definitely a creative, definitely instrumental music. Okay. I would say. I, and I yeah. find that when I'm writing, mm. it depends on what I'm writing, of course. Um, but certain music will evoke certain feelings. Yes. And I, yes. I can look at the projects I've worked on that are not music projects, whether it be drawing or, you mm. know, and the music will definitely influence or be a, um, tied to forever that that kind of work right um, right so i find that a lot with with people who are non-musicians uh they have me like stephanie meyer who did the twilight series okay, okay I mean, it's okay. very clear that muse inspired a lot of her okay, writing sure, sure. Um, and she's she's since come out and, and said that but it's like oh yeah this has muse written all over it <laughs> um although i do think muse is much cooler than the product of then, what she came up with <laughs> as popular as it became um so Going back to the to the show, sure, yeah. is there, and this is an impossible question because you've had yeah. so many, is there one that you consider your favorite or your best interview that you mm. did? Or maybe who was the most fun okay, th to interview? There have been a few of those, and the reason for them being the most fun is usually the same, and that is because it comes down to what felt like a good rapport, a real conversation going because that's what I'm hoping for. I'm not looking for a, a list of questions that right. I can pull out a juicy soundbite. As I pull I'm out a list of questions. That, <laughs> and like, I go from a list of questions right, that right. are designed not to sound like a list of questions right, in all honesty. Right, right. Uh, but it's, it, they're truly designed to be like as if I noticed a guitar sticking out of your pocket. And it was right. like, what do you do with that thing? You know, and right. it just goes from there. Right. Uh, but gosh, there'd be some like uh, Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull. Right. That was a beautiful one for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, he was late in getting oh. back to me. Okay, that's not why it was beautiful. But because he was late, he went from the 20 minutes that was promised to me right. to 35 minutes. Then he was like, eh, it's just dinner with the wife. We can put that off. Right. And we spoke for over an hour. That's and awesome. It was truly wonderful. It was, and again, it just felt like a good rapport. And plus, I've just been a Jethro Toll, not for right. ever. Now, so, yeah. there's that's, a lot of controversy surrounding Jethro Tull, at least oh, back you mean with years the, ago. With the, the, the music awards, yes. uh, beating out Metallica. Beating and Metallica yeah. for best heavy metal record. He, he addressed that very briefly. What did he yeah. have to say about that? Uh, let's see, gosh. he, 
I actually had promised not to bring it up. Okay. Or when I no 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 I not in okay, future things the, like a confidentiality agreement. I right. was just I had written it down and it was like you know I know this is a little bit of a touchy thing and but he's he, well but. He is looked it, at though? it as no. I I think the fans made it a big uh, a bigger deal than right. it was. It's like the the Dave versus Sammy kind of right. Van Halen thing. Well, uh, the fans kind of. Okay, I mean, well. they are completely <laughs> different. They're different genres. bands. They're different bands. Yeah, right. totally. I that's uh, what I've always. thought. I would never yeah. have lumped them into that category. But at I mean, that the time. feud of the like David versus Sammy no, actually no, like a personal that. feud. No, I was talking the about Metallica. Yeah, okay, yeah. So going back to those that, those are is completely a, different animals. They were uh, the reason that he even won over them was because it was a category that they both happened to fit. Right. But but do they? No, no. they're a rock band. Right, and I wish I could remember it right now. Uh, the category that he was speaking about, but it was something to the effect of an instrumental recording. Or, and I couldn't say that Metallica ever did an instrumental recording. Oh yeah, they do. Did they? Every record. I wonder if the, I wonder if that's where it came from because it was contemporary use of something like that. You oh know, really? So it was. It was not like the flute right. beats out. Right. Right. You know, right. That's. It wasn't for any reason that any of us would think. Right. I wish I had a better answer for you right now. No, I, uh, I just found I mean, that, yeah. you know, with Jethro Tull, that's the first thing that comes to mind. True. Uh, yeah. And then the flute comes to mind. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah that heavy metal band, quote unquote, with yeah. the flute. You know, it's like, he oh. actually started playing the flute on stage because he couldn't play it very well. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can understand that. He, he wanted to do something that would be a challenge for him. Yes. And he ended that's, up being that one-legged flute player, as it were, that's because funny. of that stance that he would take. Right, right. You know, so. I, I learned to play slide guitar by doing it live. For that same reason? Yeah, okay, wow. because if I have to get up in front of people and it sucks, it's going to be painful, mm. and I'm going to try and improve. Yeah, you know? gotcha. I, I throw a lot of new material out um, almost regularly because I write a lot, um, and sometimes I don't even tell the band. I'll just start playing it, and they'll have to catch up and i know it's got to be really frustrating for them because they're walking the tightrope with me and just noodling uh, along with yeah. you it's on, it's i might on. just send them the the changes if it's something more complex than a, than a blue song right and right. just say here's the changes like that day like just uh-huh. do what you can to you know keep up and we'll see yep. what happens um i think one of the other things that draws me to some favorites and I should point out that I've had just as much fun with local right. regional bands, yourself and Benjaphonic and even the Vagabond Tales and Groove Session. Uh, these bands, I've had just as much fun with these folks as I have with the legends, the quote right. legends. But the thing that I think that always turns me on the most about an interview is when I get some sort of behind the scenes, you can't read it elsewhere kind of story. Right. And that's that's what really... It's what I really love. Well, and that's yeah. really, you've touched on why I'm doing this. Mm, um, yeah. Because I, I find that, you know, the VH1 behind the music, those are great fun to watch. But let's be honest, like those guys, they're in a much different world than, oh, yeah. than guys like me, you know. And uh, the people that I've brought in, like they are not, like we don't really need to hear Eric Clapton's story again. <laughs> we know his story. Yeah. I want to hear from the guy who, sleeps in the alley holding the guitar, the, uh, the woman in uh-huh. this case, uh-huh. and nobody would have any idea that that's what they go oh, through. Yeah. And that's yeah. really what we're trying to get at here. Really cool. Um, 
you know, is, is the story of, and I say it's the real music business, but I think in a sense it is a lot more real. Oh, it is. Yeah. And I would much there's rather There's no image hear, to that. Yeah. The guitar repairman that right. you've spoken. I'd much rather hear something about that. And the fact that how he got Pete Townsend's guitar once right. and it looked like it had been beat up. And he got, you know, so-and-so's, you know, whatever. I don't know, Crystal Gale's guitar. Right. And then the next day it was Slash. You know, right. I would love to hear those kinds of stories. That's That kind of reminds me. When uh, I went into Master, one of the, the first records we did with the TCB, and we were wedged in somehow between, like, James Taylor and Brooks and Dunn. And these are, <laughs> like, multi-platinum sellers. And here's this little upstart band doing their first record together. And we were in between those two giants. And that's the kind of thing that I think is interesting. It's like you get a glimpse totally of, cool. of being in between. And we're, you know, we're looking around. There's platinum records on the walls and, you know, frames and whatnot. And we're thinking, what are we doing here? Like, how did we sneak into this place? You know, how do we get past the, the, the gatekeepers that keep, uh, you know, guys like us out? Yep. Um, that's the kind of story I, I want to hear from people. Truly nice. Um, yeah. So is there an interview that you haven't done that you mm. would love to get? I would love to, uh, I would love to interview one of the guys from Toto. Really? I would have to say, Why yeah. is that? Because they've played with everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Matter of fact, even today... I could pull out my my Facebook memories thing. This mm-hmm. was the thing about six years ago, four years ago maybe, that uh, every time my wife would say something about something, I could be like, oh, well, you know, Toto also did such and such or whatever. Right. It always came back to Toto. So it became That's this funny. six degrees of separation. But instead of Kevin Bacon, I would always bring it back to Toto. And so there's that that kind of a thing uh, of mm-hmm. any of the surviving members. Uh, I would love to speak with Steve Lukather. Well, yeah, um, he's out here all the time. Yeah, he like, truly. Yeah, Nam he is, show. He is, he's yeah. he's a staple. Yep. I've never um, even met the guy, Lukather, but I've seen him every year. Yeah, I would I would love to. And he's got a lot of wonderful stories to tell. I'm sure. Um, David Page also was the one of the original keyboardists, and Steve Percaro of the three Percaro brothers that were part of the group. Steve is still alive. Um, but yeah, so that's that's one. Um, I would love to hear their take on the Weezer cover. <laughs> they, um, they, oh gosh, I read something about that and I think that I think like that the they honest liked take it. on it. Yeah, no, I think that they really enjoyed it, but I don't remember what they enjoyed it, and that's the problem part. It's funny to tell to hear them tell stories about Michael Jackson and stuff because right. they were involved in thriller right. and the uh, um not the the off the wall the the Billy Jean and right, all that kind right. of stuff. They were, they were that. It wasn't so much Eddie Van Halen as it was Steve Lukather. Right, right. Uh, I mean, everybody it. hears yeah. Van Halen, but they, yeah. you know, or at least we've been sold the idea that Eddie Van Halen was the guy behind that record. Um, I mean, it's it's kind of like Steve Ray Vaughan on the the uh, David Bowie. Oh, I, Let's right, Dance right. Album. The modern modern love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a ton of songs yeah. on there that yeah. you know are Steve Ray Vaughan, and most people have no idea. Yeah, Adrian you know? Blue from that same time, uh, that that same tour with Bowie, and he ended up being so huge elsewhere. Right. You know, uh, but uh, but he was just again the third guitarist on the left. So I don't know if if you'll answer this, um, but I'm going to ask anyway. Who would you say would be your your worst or nightmare interview that you did? <laughs> um, I know you have to be political about certain things because you don't want to like trash anybody. Um, but is there one that was particularly rough? 
there was one that uh, one. It was kind of it was kind of cool to do at the time, but now I'm like, oh Jesus, uh, Bill Cosby. <laughs> I bet Bill on, Bill was on the show twice. Wow! And I said, "Oh yeah, Bill was on the show." You know, like you know, we had coffee yeah, and, that's... and goofies together, um, right? But uh, uh, no, I had him on the show twice. And the funny thing about him is, is that I actually edited him to sound like him. Huh? What What does um, that mean? Okay. Well, when Bill Cosby speaks, right, he has those pauses right right okay and so that's what we expect when we're hearing bill cosby but in reality without going through the demonstration because we'll eat up time oh, that's fine. uh those pauses are probably three times longer right right and so i took the reality the the length of those pauses in right. reality and i shortened them to what we would expect to hear that's crazy. From Bill Cosby. Wow. <laughs> so that was that was one. Um, another one, and I won't say who this was, or should I? Well, I mean, that's up to you. You know what? No, no, I will say it because it's not dogging him or anything like that. And I'm proud to be able to have spoken with him. His name is Leon Hughes. He's the last surviving member of the Coasters. Okay. Of the original Coasters, when they were even still the Robins before they were the Coasters. Right. And the answers that I got from him a lot of the time were one word answers. That's really rough. Yes. And so I would just get this. I would be trying to ask prompting questions. Right. So you guys used to sing at the church next to the five and dime in these contests. And I was hoping that would evoke a story. Right. right, right. But instead it evoked, yeah, we did. <laughs> oh my God. And so I did like a few more questions and you ended up winning some prizes. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was on a Friday. <laughs> and it would just keep on going like that. And so eventually I asked probably five questions, got mm -hmm. all these brief answers. Right. And I strung them together. So of it course. sounded like I asked a question and he came out saying, yeah, we did. It was on Friday and we took some prizes next to the five and dime at the church. Right. Because he, yeah. Now, so was that, that, was was that just a personality thing or was he just not wanting to be there? Or? Oh, he was... 85 oh, or, or so or 82 I mean, it's or like, like that. it's like it's like uh de niro yeah. i don't know if you've ever oh, watched yeah. him on any interview show yeah it's like it's pulling teeth to get him to elaborate on anything yeah. and it kind of cracks me up because i love that stephen colbert who loves awkward silence <laughs> keeps bringing him on and interviewing him and it goes exactly the same every time yeah and i mean i think he does that because he it's fun that. for him uh, oh. Now, I don't know why De Niro does it. He just doesn't care. He's been forced yeah. onto it, you know, because he, he is, yeah. agreed to do the promotional tour for whatever he's doing. But, man, I, I feel for anybody that has to go. And I have a little bit of a sense of that, although I'm finding that at the people that I'm interviewing really want to tell some stories. Sure, you know? sure. Um, and, and like yourself, you've got all of these amazing stories. Sit up here um, is there one that stands out in your head right now that like this was this was a really either a bizarre interview or <laughs> this was um, I know you mentioned the one before. But. Um, yeah, I've got a let's see. Gosh, there's there's a couple that I think of nearly right away. One was with Mark Volman from the Turtles, but I was so excited to speak with him because he was one of the mothers, the right. mothers of invention for right. a certain period of time. But 
I think the story, I've told the story a bunch in various settings, but I, I can't get over hearing it because the song Brick House right. by the Commodores, and this is one that I think whether a person is young or old or if you're a country music purist or whatever, mm -hmm. you've heard Brick House. Of course. And, it's a staple. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those. And if you've so, ever gone to a wedding, you've heard this song. A wedding you know? or a frat party or, right. uh, I mean, anything, an unfortunate karaoke incident. It, right. it was there, you know. Um, and so on this one, I interviewed this guy by the name of William King. William A. King, I say, because he goes by the name Whack. Okay. When I said, yeah, I'm going to interview this guy, he's Whack. They thought I was trying to be colloquial. And right. Was, yeah, right. I was like, no, right. he's Whack. He's actually Whack Jr. But anyway, <laughs> so he was writing Brick House. And I found out this story because I saw that his wife has songwriting credits. Oh. Um, and I was like, oh, well, that's okay. Tell me about this, please. Interesting. So he had had, at that point, uh, early part of the mid-70s, he had a, um, a cassette. It would seem like a karaoke thing for us. Right. It was like the instrumental track. Right. So we had, geez, a brick house, and it was yeah. just kind of that. It was getting stretched out. Right. It was getting worn. Right. And his wife said to him, man, if you don't know what to do with the rest of that song, there's something wrong with you up right. here. And that's it's close to a quote, I'm sure. But right. So he, if you can imagine Archie Bunker's favorite recliner for a second, he had this kind of recliner in right. the little den. And it was where he would work sometimes. And he had his writing pad. He uh -huh. had his writing pad with Brick House on it. And he went to sleep with this on his chest. And his wife was so tired of hearing this song by this point that while he was asleep, she picked the pad up off of his chest, <laughs> wrote out the rest of the lyrics. That's hilarious. And put it back down without him waking up, rested it back up. And he woke up, looked at this pad of paper, Man, this is some of the best stuff I ever wrote. <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's one of my favorite stories that I've gotten from some of the behind that's the scenes crazy. stuff. That's crazy. She finally yeah. told him, of course. She did tell him. I and, wrote that. Uh, yeah, that's and funny. She ended up getting credit. But yeah, that's just one of the wonderful stories like that. Uh, so many, so many cool things. In the still of the night. I don't have a long story about this, but just the fact that you think of In the Still of the Night, the old um, Five Satins tune. Right. That you're thinking about this person that you want to be with. And if I understand it correctly, I think this was Charlie Thomas that told me this, that in the still of the night was written when he was on guard duty in Korea, afraid of what was out there in the darkness Huh? in the still of the night. It wasn't, Crazy. I'm longing for you. Right. I'm afraid of what's there. That's nuts. But it became a love song. Of course. <laughs> well, and it sounds like a love song. True. You know? True. They definitely, yeah. they definitely recorded that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, interpretation is pretty huge. Yeah. And that's one of the things I, I love about talking to songwriters is especially songwriters that are writing stuff that have, you know, has some uh, figurative language and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, that's not so obvious that uh, the stories really are almost never what you think they are. Oh, yeah. You know, no, no. Um, I've, I've done that to my kids who I forced to listen to my music because that's <laughs> how I learn it. Or I, I get nostalgic and I want to hear a, a band I used to play with. And they'll they'll say, oh, is this that song about this? I'm like, no, it's about zombies. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's about zombies. What? Um, so I, I love doing that to other people as well as a songwriter. Um, is there a, an interview that you wish you had gotten 
uh, from somebody that's no longer with us. Like oh, if, if what would be the ultimate interview? Frank Zappa. I, Zappa would have been the one. Yeah, yeah. Why? I, he's, oh gosh. Well, there are so many reasons for that. One, there's just personal nostalgia because right. he graduated with my uncle. And so I actually have his high school yearbook at my house How right funny. now. Uh, but there's that part, but then he was also involved with so many things that I became interested in beyond music censorship. Uh, he was also into so much parody of things. And I got into Zappa at first, maybe at the age of 13 or 14 because of the novelty songs, the funny, the quote, funny stuff. It was years later before I got into, Oh my God, this guitar. Right. And the people that he would introduce like Steve Vai. Mm -hmm or George Duke, or on keyboard, you know, right. all these wonderful musicians that he would have around him. Uh, there, Yeah, so it's the, the type of playing that he did, which, again, that falls into different levels. Right. There's just, there's the orchestral type stuff, and mm-hmm. so, again, he's just so all over the board, but I the also fear person, it, though. I don't think, can hear Zappa. I no, think, I, no, I don't think, I, I agree with that, yeah. Some people say to it's to an acquired taste. You yourself on how to hear yeah. it. And it's hard, too, to say, I like Zappa, therefore I'm going to pick up this album. Right. Even in the same year, right. if you go from Waka Jawaka to, uh, gosh, I'm, I, I'm blanking right now, to another one from 1972. Right, it's right. in the car, and I can't even think of it at the moment. But, That's okay. Uh, but the point is that there, you might go from one of these parody albums where he's making fun of a concept album right. to uh, what could stand in there with any of the your best jazz fusion collections. Right. So it's... Yeah, it's, there's a difficulty with Zappa. There's other folks, too, that have just passed away. Some of my favorite jazz uh, players uh, in the keyboard world. Favorite jazz pianist, uh, Gene Harris. Right. Um, and in the Hammond B3, same type of feel, this guy by the name of Captain Jack McDuff. Right. Um, and these guys, the, again, it's the style they're playing. But again, the folks that they brought in, out into the world and the folks that they were associated with. Right. Um, well, it's know. like John Mayall. Yeah, oh my Mayall God. has yeah. had just about every great guitar player in that world yeah. in his band. Yeah. You know, and each one of them have gone on to, in most cases, be more successful financially than he is. Mm, yeah. um, so it's like this breeding ground for great players that go on to do great things. I think that ends up being one of the cool things about him, though, is right. that he really strikes me as a person who's not, he's doing the thing for the sake of the thing. Right. He's not trying to write a song that's going to get him right. 20 million. Right, right, right. Well, Followers definitely not, <laughs> you know, staying true to the genre, you're definitely not going to. No, no. Um, and that's, that's the world that I live in is like, Success for me is going to have to mean something totally different than when I was, you know, 18. It's a it's a fluke. I mean, something happens. The music that you produce, it's stellar stuff on a variety of different levels. And I say that because you've done a a variety of different types of music. Um, But like this Eddie and the Cruisers thing that we were talking about, that album was a great fun album. Right. But it went nowhere because of the world of pop music at that point. We were still hovering around disco. Right. And so they were literally giving away the albums. Really? And it went nowhere. The album on the on the in, on the radio, it was a flop. And the movie Eddie and the Cruisers at the theater was a flop. Really? 
Oh, to- I remember total that club. totally different than that you because I like it. Because of the same reason that I think I do, and that is because HBO, in its infancy at that point, really? got a hold about three months after a movie would leave the theaters. Right. They would go to HBO, and HBO would play it several times a day right. for an entire month. So, I've so many the hell of us got Me too, over and over and over. Over again. I, I thought yeah. it was like a huge radio hit. and You would have thought. We wow. got on the dark side on the radio and on MTV. Right. John Cafferty and the right. Beaver Brown Band. Uh, but yeah, but the, no, the, the rest of it went nowhere. And it really was, mm, I think, a year later or something like that, that it was, it was so after the fact. This guy, Kenny Vance, that I was talking about earlier, one right. of the Jay and the Americans and the Planetones and all this stuff. Right. Uh, he was working on another project by that point, and he got a phone call saying, you just sold 25 million records. Right. He was like, on what? You're right. He what said, did Eddie I... and the Cruisers, and he was like, what? No, and it was just... That's Because nuts. it was dead in the water a year before. Right, you know, right. They'd moved on. So <laughs> we, we touched on the idea of success, yeah. and I don't know what this would mean for you, but do yeah. you feel that you have, quote, unquote, made it? Hmm. Gosh. I mean, it's a stupid question, but... Well, no, but it's a subjective question. Right. And so... That's why I like Made it. it. There are still a lot of places that I can go that people don't know who I am. Right. That, that, that don't know who I am. Um, so as far as making it as in celebrity stardom or whatever... I wouldn't say that that's it, but that's never been the goal either. Well, um, no, and that's. But what does that uh, mean to I've, you that you've um, that I've made it? I've I've created a show, and it's been a success. Mm-hmm. And I've, uh, in certain ways, I do feel like I've made it. But I still I still have a ways to go as well. Well, but I've made it in the sense that people. Um, there's some bands around town. This sounds full of myself saying this, but I heard this from an, another uh, Eva uh, right. Mikhailovna from Even the Vagabond Tales shared this with me. She said that there's been bands that have talked with her about KVC Arts and in the Inland Empire, they feel like it's sort of a stepping stone oh, to yeah. making it, getting onto right. KVC Arts. And I find that really nutty to wrap my head around because this is, I'm just, uh, I'm just doing what I enjoy. I, I was lucky enough to speak with Stanley Clark and it was too long to fit onto all things considered. Right. So I made a show. <laughs> right, right. No, but I think there's yeah. there's something to that, that um, when we feel like, and this is just from my own perspective, when I feel like I have something that's ready for the world to mm-hmm. hear, I typically will hit you up I'm like, hey man, I got this really cool thing. Mm-hmm. I would love to come in and talk with you about it because there is a fan base for what you're doing now. And I think whether you can see it or not, that there is a level of success to what you've done. Now, I won't say you know, you're, you're making millions of dollars doing a radio show, but I think what you're doing is, is much more important than that mainstream radio show because you're bringing people to an audience in a very genuine way. I hope so. I mean, you're bringing an audience to a people that maybe wouldn't find it otherwise. And I think there is much more success in my eyes to that, um, Mm. than, than just kind of dropping on a, a clear channel, station you know that goes right, right syndicated right. forever yeah. across the country and across the yeah. world there's there's uh, other parts to that too as far as uh i've heard from a number of people and some of these have been the quote legend type and some have been up-and-comer types or whatever but folks who have always been nervous in an interview 
but then I hear that once they got in with me, they were suddenly relaxed. Right. And they felt differently after that point of doing interviews. Um, some folks also that have used my interviews with them, they use that to this day as part of their electronic press kit that they'll right. send out to try to get work. Oh, it's good stuff. Uh, so it's that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, those are the kind of little successes. So when right. I say I've made it, I feel like, yes, in situations like that, because there are people who have just, uh, said, oh my, I, like some of the doo people. Right. I'll interview them ahead of time. Right. And it may be a month or a month and a half or two even before I get to see them at the concert. Right. But I'll find out that they're asking if I'm there that night. Right. And they'd like to meet me. And I'm like, that's great. I'm man. hoping to meet Pat Boone. And now right. I find out that Pat's <laughs> asking if I'm there because he right. wants to shake my hand or whatever. Right. Wow. I, I am always <laughs> kind of floored at the reach of your show. Mm. Um, and that's not a, in, a, in any way an insult, oh, no, but no, I think no. in the age of streaming and the age of the internet and you guys are on the internet, yeah. but I, I am always pleasantly surprised when I, when I do one of your shows and people come up like, yeah, I was listening to you on NPR last night. I'm like, wait, oh, what? Cool, cool, cool. Wait, really? <laughs> and and I, I, I guess it kind of restores a little bit of my faith in the industry um, mm. when that happens, because I feel like there's so much noise out there. And the fact that you're yes. able to cut through that is definitely a testament to what you're doing. Um, and, and it's not just um, what we, you would stereotypically call the NPR crowd, you know, mm. like the older sure. hippie. Right, right. Um, there are young people who tune into the show. Um, and I find that really, really cool. And I'm uh, pleasantly surprised about that every time and right. and not out of any bad thing. I I think of, gosh, we have X number of thousand of watts. We only reach a certain amount of distance. Okay? Right. And so right. I think some people hear it. But now I'm finding out that, yeah, again, I'll go to a gig and I'm just talking with one of the musicians that I've interviewed because right. so many of them have become friends by now. Right. And then I'll leave and I'll find out later that they're saying, was that the KVC Arts guy? Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really well, cool. That's man. cool. And one of the cool, this is a weird thing, but the fact that I have to say uh, Wednesday nights at seven Pacific Standard Time. Right. Because there's people in Pittsburgh yes. that are tuning in on purpose. That kind of stuff that's blows kind of weird me for me. Away. Yeah, me too. Big time. I, blows I me see away. that with um, with the comic book stuff that I do. Oh, sure. Which Most is certainly. completely off topic. But we'll get people all well over the mentioned. country who have picked up our stuff somehow and you know we have like super fans in cities where we've only been to twice yeah yeah you know we we just came back from chicago and there's a kid there that loves this the the gray series that we do uh -huh. so much that he bought almost all of my original art that i had with me oh wow and we we were you know talking before we left like oh no we have plenty of originals in there we're not going to sell all of this stuff and we were down to some stuff that was kind of old and all wow. of the new stuff was gone because he bought it all. That is you too know? sweet. Oh yeah, it's it's and it's the most bizarre feeling to know that somebody out there and there were a couple people in Chicago that are big fans uh -huh. um, that will buy up all this really you know some of the, my favorite art pieces are hanging on people's walls across the country. You that's know? too cool. Um, and that's again, it's completely off the thing, off the topic. But in a sense, it kind of ties into what you're saying. Well, that yeah. you never really yeah. know what your reach is going to be, and who knows? Maybe yeah. somebody in you know Ecuador mm -hmm. is listening to the show because they're a fan of this artist and they've stumbled across it. Um, 
so yeah, it's, I think that is probably my favorite part of, um, the internet bringing the world Truly. closer is that, that you can reach people on a much bigger scale without having to actually go there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah. we are kind of running toward the end of this, okay. uh, but I definitely, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you all day. <laughs> uh, and that I, I think is also Lots a testament to to your interviewer skills. Um, is it weird being the interviewee at this point? Cause you've Sometimes. done so many interviews. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. It's a, it's a little bizarre. Um, do, you, do you do a lot of interviews I where you are the person Oh, the, the, where I'm the person being you asked the questions. No, no, not very many at all. And so well, that's one of the things yeah, that excited me about strange. having you in because yeah. I, I really wanted to flip it around uh, and kind of get your take on this business. Um, yeah. Are you hopeful or at all about the music business going forward? Yes, yes. I think it's positive in so many ways as far as what people are doing and why they're doing it. The people who are still... Uh, trying to cut a record for the sake of uh, becoming a superstar, they are probably going to fall flat on their face, and I hope they do. Um, yeah. It's the people that are making a music that they're passionate about that happens to catch somebody's ear. Right. And then that takes it further. That's that's the person that I believe in, and that's what. Uh, and I think that there's still plenty of them out there. And thankfully, a lot of people are trying to find and do their own thing. And that's yeah. what's making them a success. It may take a lot longer right. uh, than the person who can sell out that stadium. But I think the reward is is much greater because they're doing it for their own personal passion. Well, and I think that's you in a sense. True, it is. So in, in pursuing your show, you are also, you know bringing those people to light that you are Absolutely. that, you know, the independent artist as well. I think that's a perfect note to wrap this up. I think that exactly says what we're saying. Um, so this has been another episode of fix it in the mix. Uh, thanks again to, uh, David Fleming for sharing his morning with me after a long night of poker and who knows <laughs> what else. Um, so yes, Dev, definitely Dave, thanks for coming in. And, um, if you like what you hear, uh, if you're enjoying the show, um, by all means, follow us on Facebook. And, uh, you know, for the love of all that's holy, please share it with a friend. Fix It in the Mix is recorded at Endin Blue Studios. Remember to subscribe to Fix It in the Mix on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. This episode was brought to you by SpinWiz Comics. Please go and visit SpinWizComics.com. This episode of the Nerd Life Crisis is brought to you by IB Comics. IB Comics, the home of great creator-driven stories for people of all ages, including Legba's Juke Joint. The first book of a nine-book series is available now and tells the story of American music from the blues to the present. The series examines the values of American society and for what we as people are willing to trade our soul. The book has been called Smart and Clever by Mark Wade of The Flash and Superman and Raw, Honest, and Profoundly Human by Stephen Frank, the creator of Silver and the animator on The Iron Giant. The book is available now at www.ibcomics.com. IB Comics, the home of great stories.